So that lady's song kind of went along with the theme for all the other music tonight, and we did not plan the lady's song. That was planned way in advance. So every, everything else was kind of themed around that, that idea that God's way is perfect, and in that song, it's in his time. His way is perfect. So okay, we're going to be starting in Acts chapter number two today, Acts chapter number two, continuing on preaching through the book of Acts. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. So we all pretty much know what Acts chapter 2 is about. Pentecost was a turning point for the church. Jesus had told the disciples to wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled and that this event would kickstart a movement, really, that would spread and impact throughout the entire world. And as, as we discussed in the first message on the book of Acts, the book of Acts traces the spread of the gospel through the church by the working of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem all the way until it had reached Rome, the center of the known world. And it's important that we understand that these, event, these events, if we're going to understand the book of Acts, because this is the foundation. This is what started it all. It's kind of like uh, just going off that word kickstart, when you want to start a motorcycle, you, you kick, kick the gas thing to get it started, and that kicks the engine into gear, and then you go, right? So in this, this event here is what got the church started and going and in, into full drive. Acts chapter 2 is probably one of the most controversial passages in the church because really it, it makes the distinction between a lot of different denominations. I mean, Baptists, Charismatics, Pentecostals, there are differences between these groups because of this text right here. And we're going we're to kind of deal with some of those differences this Sunday and next Sunday as we're working our way through the, through the chapter. But this is going to be an important, important chapter for understanding why we believe the things that we believe about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all those different types of things. Now, there are two terms that you're going to come across within the book of Acts that we need to keep in mind and define before we get into the text. The first is the baptism of the Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit is something that every Christian receives at salvation, and it is, meant, it is the means by which we are placed into union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we are baptized into one body. And how many of us have been baptized? Said here, all of us. We have all been made, we have all been made to drink into one spirit, okay? <clears throat> and we have all been baptized into one body. But there are other terms in the Bible that are similar than, and are talking about the same thing here, the baptism of the Spirit. You've also got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 9 says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his, okay? So we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you do not have it, you are not a, a saved believer. That's what this verse says. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you are none of his, okay? Uh, also, this is called the gift of the Holy Spirit in Romans 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 
So you had baptism, you have indwelling, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You also have this concept of being sealed with the Holy Spirit, which also refers to the same type of event in Ephesians 4, verse 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So baptism in the Holy Spirit is never mentioned except in the context of salvation. You are not baptized except, I mean, baptism is only limited to that salvation experience. And there is no passage that shows that baptism ever occurred to the same person more than once. Just like you only get saved once, you only get baptized in the Spirit once. But there is also another term that we will see in the book of Acts, and that is the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is something that is repeated throughout the life of a believer and it empowers them for service specifically. Uh, We all know Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is talking to believers. Believers are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 4, verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now this, in Acts chapter 4, This is the exact same group that was meeting in Acts chapter number 2. And they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. So filling of the Spirit is something that is continually experienced. But when we come to Acts chapter 2, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 13. And then I'll tie in what I've just said to, to the text here, okay? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language." And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Now this event right here, when Jesus promised it back in Acts chapter 1 in verse number 5, he referenced it and he he said this. He said, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Pentecost was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's, that's an important piece here. But then also, when you look at chapter 2, verse number 4, says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pentecost was also a filling of the Holy Ghost. Both events happened at the same time. You had the baptism and you had the filling at the exact same moment at Pentecost. Now, why would that be? This is, the, this is the first time the Holy Spirit has come to permanently indwell his children. This is the beginning, right? 
So he's doing both things at the exact same time. He is baptizing them and he is filling them with the Holy Spirit. And so they were empowered by God in this passage and they spoke with tongues and they praised God in other languages. Filling, when we talk about filling, it often speaks of influence, right? If you are filled with wrath or anger, you are consumed with it, right? And it is influencing your decisions. You're still in control of them, but you are being influenced by the driving force of that anger, okay? It is, it is your motivation behind your actions. So as, as we work through this text, I want to kind of lay the foundation for what was happening here. This was God baptizing them with the Spirit, but he was also filling them, and then show how this relates to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit tonight as we go. And so we're going to start, first of all, by looking at the setting in verse number one. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, Pentecost literally means 50 days, okay? So 50 days after a certain event, the day of Pentecost would occur. So technically, Pentecost was 50 days after the first Sabbath of the Passover in the Feast of Weeks or the Day of First Fruits. So Pentecost was like a harvest festival, if you wanted to think of an activity that we, we sometimes celebrate. And in the fall time, we've had harvest fairs, right, Luke? I think you had one when we first came here. We have these events where we celebrate the harvest time, which is usually in what time of year in our minds? Fall, okay? So, yeah. But so this is, this is a celebration of a harvest festival, though, in their, in their Jewish tradition. And some people also believed that this date was the date that the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. That's found in the book of Jubilees, uh, which is just a Jewish tradition book, basically. But that's kind of not Luke's point, so it really doesn't, doesn't matter here. But the setting here, it's Pentecost. They're celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. And it says here in verse number one that they were all with one accord in one place. Prior to the filling of the Spirit, this church, this group of people, experienced unity. They were all united in, uh, among themselves, and it says they were in one place. Now, some people have debated whether that's the temple or what it was, but um, honestly, I believe this was just a house, okay? They, they were in one house, and some archaeologists have found houses that were big enough to hold 120 people back then, but Luke does not use the word for temple in, in this text. So they're all in one house. They're all unified. They're all meeting together, when the Holy Spirit comes. So that's kind of our setting. Verse number two tells us what the event is. It describes the event. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, <clears throat> as it, and, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to spake with the other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it starts off and says, and suddenly there came, it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And there's a lot of emphasis placed on wind when a lot of people talk about this. But this is, the, the real emphasis here was the sound. They could hear this wind coming in. That's, that's the experience they're, they're perceiving here. The, the sound of wind coming in. And the sound is described in symbolic language like a mighty rushing wind wind. Now, wind is an analogy that is often used throughout the scriptures for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 through 14. Ezekiel 37. 
Ezekiel 37. And we'll start in verse 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon, upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I behold, lo, the sinews of the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet as a great exceeding army. Then said he unto me, Son of man, the bones, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we are cut off for our part. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out up out of the graves and bring you into the land, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you. And ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So the the Bible uses this analogy of wind to talk of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, in essence, coming into these dry bones and making them alive. It'd be kind of interesting to get everybody up here to sing uh, dry bones. So get everybody stand up, some dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Okay, so... Do the motions too, no, okay? But anyways, but yeah, the spirit comes and it breathes life into these dead bodies. And that is what is happening with this event in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is coming upon them and bringing them new life. The Holy Spirit provides regeneration and provides new life. This same imagery is used in John 3, verses 6 through 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou heareth the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So he, talk, he, he uses this analogy of wind to talk about the Holy Spirit. That's what's coming upon these people. The sound of a mushing, uh, rushing mighty wind, it's not just wind. It's the Holy Spirit coming in and coming into their lives. <clears throat> And if you turn back to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were seated, where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The implication here 
is that every single one of the 120 received the Holy Spirit at this moment. Um, and this is important because in Pentecostalism, Pentecostals believe in what they call the second blessing. Okay? So you get saved, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. That comes later. You get the baptism of the Holy Spirit later when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You speak in tongues. You do all these different things. And some of them even believe you become sinlessly perfect at that moment. But that's not what happened here in the book of Acts. And we derive our doctrine from what scripture says, right? Every single one of them received the Holy Ghost at this moment. It's not a second event that they were to experience later on. Verse number three says, And there appeared uh, unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. So the second uh, figure of speech that he uses, he's talked about the Holy Spirit as wind, but also he talks about cloven tongues like as of fire. And fire is symbolic throughout scripture of multiple different things. Um, in Exodus 3 verse 2, it talks about God's presence. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. So fire could speak of God's presence. Could also speak of God's judgment. Deuteronomy 9 verse 3. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire, he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. It is also a picture of purging. Uh, Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God to see God high and lifted up and holy, the angel takes a hot coal from off the fire and brings it and places it upon his lips. Why? Because he was a man of unclean lips and it was symbolic for the purging uh, that, he needed and, that he needed in his life. So fire is symbolic of God's presence, judgment, and purging. I think here, when it talks, of it, when it talks about um, being like as a fire, it's actually more speaking of appearance and how maybe even they spread out. So how does a fire spread out? You get a little flame and we light, light a piece of grass out in the yard, what's going to happen? It's going to spread out, right? Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it spreads upon all of them. And I do think that the symbolism here is used to speak of God's glory and God's presence in the lives of the disciples through the Spirit. And it says, and it sat upon each of them. Again, the indication here is that every single one of the 120 experienced both the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So the teaching is clear here that every believer experiences that baptism, contrary to the second blessing doctrine. Verse number four says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this event in Acts chapter two, the filling and the baptism of the Spirit manifests itself in the speaking of tongues, which we will be talking about next week in our, in our evening service. Um, but again, like I said, it is, this event was called both a, a baptism and a filling. And I think a lot of times when we think of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2 comes, there's flames of fire, there's a rushing wind, they speak with tongues. We assume that that means every time that a person is filled with the Holy Ghost, they should, they should see similar signs, right? They should see wind, and they should see fire, and they should see tongues. But that's not actually consistent with what the rest of the book of Acts talks about. You can be filled with the Spirit and see none of those things. 
Okay, let's, let's look at some of these, okay? Acts chapter 4, verse number 8. Acts 4, verse number 8. Okay, Peter's just healed, healed a guy, and he's being, been arrested. He's being questioned by the Sadducees at the temple. And Acts 4, verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of what da-da-da, and on it goes, okay? Peter preaches because of the, whole, the filling of the Spirit. But doesn't mention anywhere wind, fire, tongues in this text. No, those things are not seen in this text. The manifestation of the filling was Peter's preaching. He, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he stood up and he preached and he preached boldly, okay? In uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 17, we have another reference to the filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, this is Paul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and, being fill, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So what happened to Paul? He was filled with the Holy Ghost, and the evidence of it was he received his sight. Still, no tongues, no fire, no wind that we are seeing here. Acts chapter 13, verse number 9. Acts 13, verse 9. <clears throat> says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. So Paul stands up and again, he speaks boldly because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 52 of the same chapter, <clears throat> verse 52 says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So what's the manifestation of being filled with the Spirit? It's joy. And sometimes in our society, we, we expect being filled with the Spirit to manifest itself in these great, miraculous, ecstatic experiences that make us feel good about ourselves. That's, that's really what it comes down to. We feel like we have the Holy Spirit because of all these great things that are happening. But that's not normally how the filling of the Holy Spirit manifests itself. To be honest, 90% of the time in the book of Acts, when it says a person was filled with the Spirit, the accompanying sign of being filled with the Spirit was that they spoke boldly. They stood up and they preached the gospel. And they did so without fear. They, they preached the gospel boldly. Acts 1.8, again, okay, the promise that the Holy Spirit would come, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit that we see the most is preaching the gospel and preaching it boldly, okay? That is, that is what we see most of the time. Now, coming back to Acts chapter 2, though, okay? Because this was such a pivotal event in the life of the church, God did confirm the message of the gospel by miraculous events in Acts chapter 2. It says here that when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what did they do? They began to speak with other tongues. The word tongues literally means languages, okay? 
the focus here is on languages. And we see that when you have the, the audience uh, in verse number nine, or verse number eight says, and how hear we every man in our own tongue or our own language wherein we were born. And then he lists a bunch of nations that these people had come from. So what did God give to the apostles and the 120 in the upper room? The ability to speak in other languages that they had never known, okay? Daniel, do you know Russian? No? Okay, so if Daniel were to come up here and he were to see, he were to say, uh, I only know a few words, but okay, anybody else speak Russian? Do I have an interpreter tonight? Okay, so um, if Daniel were to get up and to speak those things, then he'd never learned this language before, that would be the gift that is being spoken of here. It is not that he speaks a bunch of gibberish and a bunch of random things. He is speaking actual languages that he has never learned before. And that's the evidence in Acts chapter number 2. That they, verse number 6 says that every man heard them speak in his own language. Okay? And they ask, in verse 7 says, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Galileans, whether they were ignorant or not, they had a reputation for being ignorant with most of the other Jewish cultures. Okay? That, that constantly comes up in the scriptures. They're saying, aren't these men just Galileans? Why would they know all of these other languages? Okay? So the gift that they were given was specifically the gift of speaking in other languages. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit says, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So this gift was something the Holy Spirit prompted them, gave them the ability to do, to speak in other languages. So Luke reminds us that this gifting was the result of the filling of the Spirit. Okay? So like I said, next Sunday, we will define, we will do an overview of the entire doctrine of the gift of tongues. Okay? Because I think that's important as we move through the rest of the book of Acts. Now, what is the result of the filling of the Spirit in this text? Verse number five. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they heard every man speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And then he lists all these nations. Verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So when the world, the, the society around them saw them being filled with the Spirit, there were two responses, really. Okay? One was they marveled. The other one was that they mocked to seeing the Holy Spirit working in their lives. They either marveled or they mocked. So it says here that the, there were devout men, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And it says they were dwelling at Jerusalem. I believe these are Jewish men who had lived in other countries. They'd had businesses, and they moved back to Jerusalem because it says they were dwelling there, okay? They'd moved back to Jerusalem maybe to retire for some reason or other. But these men are hearing the apostles and the 120 speak in their languages of the nations that they had come from. So they are Jews, they are devout men, <clears throat> but they are also out of, out of every nation under heaven. And this is a use of hyperbole. Um, it's kind of like saying, all the world came out to hear him. Okay? We would use an idiom of speech to, talk about, to just basically say, a bunch of people came from all over 
You know, and, and really, when they said out of every nation under heaven, they meant out of every civilized nation in the world that they knew at that time, okay? So all these men came from all these different countries under the civilized world that they knew, and they were there in Jerusalem, and they heard the word of God spread through the gift of tongues. Now, when the, when the apostles got up to speak, what is it that they said? What, it, what is it that the Holy Spirit prompted them to say? Verse 11 says... We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful, marvelous, or the wonderful works of God. So being filled with the Spirit motivated them to praise God, to stand up and to praise God. And all these people, they heard it, and they marveled at it. They were confused by it. But some of them were amazed, and others decided to mock what the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives. Verse 12 and 13. It says, uh, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Now, I was going to preach through Peter's message. We're running out of time. I'm not going to do that. I'll have to come back to that 10 years from now when, when we get back to Acts chapter 2. Um, but Peter's, Peter's message here, I, I wanted to go through it, not because the message is unique to you guys, but because it is, it is an example of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. When the Holy Spirit comes, we will preach God's word. We will stand up and we will proclaim the wonderful works of God and we will sing his praises. That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit that we ought to be seeking and they were bold to do it. They weren't afraid. Sometimes we cower back. We, we're afraid to say anything good about God. I mean, be, being at work, okay? You got all these guys, they're, they're not Christians, they're acting, um, fleshly, and they're all around you talking about all the things that they want to talk about, how many times do we feel timid and afraid to speak up for God and to say something for God? Or maybe your boss called you into the office and he gave you a raise. Okay, that would be nice, right? Okay, so how often do we go back out and say, praise God? Mr. Ridley, you can't give yourself a raise. Okay, so how often though do we come back and we say, praise God, look what the Lord did for me, and we're not ashamed of it. We're not afraid of it. That is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, that we can speak the wonderful works of God with boldness. Okay? Now, they had the gift of being able to speak in tongues. You may not have that, okay? But you can still praise God, and you can still preach his message. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of end with this, this as the focus right here. Peter stood up. And he preached, he preached a message. He started off with a defense, first of all, okay? So, like I said, I'm going to hit the highlights. I'm not going to preach through his whole message. We'll just hit the highlights, okay? But Peter defended, because the mockers, what were the mockers saying? They were saying, these men are full of new wine. They're drunk, basically, right? Okay? Peter stands up and he, says, he argues according to two bases. First of all, he argues according to logic, Okay? He says, for these are not drunken, drunken, in verse 15, these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's only, I think, what, I, what I've researched, it said 9 a.m., okay? Um, if you're going to be drunk by 9 a.m., you're hitting it pretty hard, pretty early in the morning, right? Okay, so he's arguing, they're not drunk, it's only 9 a.m., right? That's logic, that's, that's what he appeals to. But then in verse 16 and 17, he appeals to the scriptures, and he refutes their accusation by pointing them to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, which talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon them before the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
and that any who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As that's one of the passages in, in, chapter, in Joel that, he, that is referenced there. So the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and it comes upon all kinds of flesh here, because he talks about sons and daughters. This isn't just a gift for, for guys, okay? So um, Mrs. Carsey's can be just as filled with the Spirit as Pastor Carsey's can, Right? It is a gift given to both male and female. It's not limited to one person. It is also a gift that is given to um, your young men and your old men, the young and the old, okay? We've got our, our, older, our older men have wisdom, but that doesn't give them necessarily a, uh, what do you call it, a monopoly on being filled with the Holy Spirit. The young men and the older men can both be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then elsewhere in the text talks about my servants and my handmaidens, okay? And I think that, so it doesn't depend on gender, it doesn't depend on your age, but it also doesn't depend on your class, your status. You may not be a boss or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You might just be a guy who's flipping burgers out at McDonald's. I want to say Walmart for some reason. Okay, so (laughs) flipping burgers at McDonald's, and yet you can be just as filled with the Holy Spirit as anybody else, okay? So Peter defends their accusations by logic and by scripture, and then he exegetes these scriptures. He, he explains them to him, but he ends his message here. Verse number 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. Peter had preached his message, and the people, actually I should have read verse 37, the people's response to the preaching of the word of God was that they were convicted. It says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's response is repent. If you were here for VBS, you heard me teach on the fact that repentance and faith are two sides of the same thing. Peter is saying, repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why though? Because of the remission of sins. Because your sins have been forgiven, you should be baptized. And then what's the result? Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you have the example here in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes. They've seen it. They've marveled at it. Peter stands up. He preaches boldly the word of God. He calls on them to place their faith in Jesus Christ and to be baptized. And then he says, if you do this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's future generations as many as the Lord our God shall call. People in far distant lands could be as well. But the promise of the Holy Spirit is given to every believer whom God has called. And then in verse 40 says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now verse 40 is kind of like Luke jumping in and saying, This is just a summary of Peter's message. I haven't told you everything he said. Um, Many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So really, Luke has just summarized Peter's message. And then the result, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
So the result of his preaching, because he was preaching in the Holy Spirit, he was filled with God's Spirit, and he preached boldly that they would repent, they would turn to God and place their faith in Jesus Christ, is that 3,000 souls were saved. And and those 3,000 souls received that same Holy Spirit that they had received. Now, it could be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that these events in Acts chapter 2 must be repeated exactly as they are written in our account. That's ultimately what I want to dispel here tonight, okay? The Holy Spirit doesn't have to come with wind and flame and tongues for the Holy Spirit to be here in our lives. And so there's a danger of looking for supernatural signs all the time and living from emotional experience to emotional experience where we have to have our religious relationship with God validated by these experiences, okay? There's a danger to that. And so these events were designed to be a confirmation of God's message and the messengers as the gospel went out into the world. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but every time you see the gift of tongues in the book of Acts, the gospel was going out to a new group of people. You don't see it in all the other salvation stories. You see it when the gospel goes to the Jews here. You see it when the gospel goes to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. You see it when the gospel goes out to the Samaritans. You see it when the gospel goes out to the disciples of John who had heard the baptism of repentance but had never heard about Jesus Christ. And so it was a confirmation of the message of the gospel as it went forward. So every time a person gets saved, that person receives the Holy Spirit in their lives. The filling of the Spirit is something that is repeated in our lives from time to time as God empowers us specifically for service. So as we are looking at the church in Acts, it's important for us to realize that the church is intended to be a Spirit-filled church. But the filling will produce at least two results that we've seen in this text that are intended to be repeated. Praise and preaching of the Word of God. You may not see wind, fire, and flame, wind, flame, and tongues, but you ought to be seeing praise and proclaiming God's word in the life of a spirit-filled believer and in the lives of a spirit-filled church. If we are walking with the Lord as we say we are, then we ought to be seeing these things in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Okay, let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes, and we'll stand, have a time of invitation tonight. I want to make something clear. With the times of invitation, if at any time you feel the Lord wants you to come forward and to pray, you have that freedom. I'm not going to say it every single time we have an invitation. I want you to know that if you need that opportunity, take that opportunity, okay? If the Holy Spirit is working in your life to say, hey, this is what I want for your life, I challenge you to take that seriously. Don't, Don't ignore him. Don't resist the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's just take some time to deal with the Lord tonight.
Okay, Brother Michael, do you mind dismissing us in prayer tonight?